Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be out of uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. already covered quite a bit of territory this morning, and uh, I hope you've uh, been able to take everything in. Every bit of it is important, and if you're part of this fellowship, then we want you to be actively involved in the fellowship. So I hope that that uh, ministered to you some of the things that were shared, some of the opportunities that have come up. Take your Bible, if you will, and open uh, to Philippians chapter 1. We are in a study in the epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and uh, this has been an interesting study already. I, this morning, uh, several people came to me and talked about how it's changing them, how they see joy, and that they're finding joy even in moments of difficulty. One person said, I can't explain it. I, I just can't explain it, but I have a joy even though I'm going through a trial. And uh, because of their perspective, and it went from here to here. And I, I pray that for all of you today. So as we begin today, this will be the second of the four joy robbers that we're going to talk about. We started last week with the first of the joy robbers, which is trials and how uh, in our lives we go through personal trial, we go through ministry trials, and it seems like it robs us of joy. But Paul said, I rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul was in prison, and yet he had joy. And we too can have joy in our situation, regardless of what that situation is. And so today we're going to focus on verses 15 through 18 that uh, Scott read for us. Now we're talking about the second joy robber, which is opposition. Opposition. It's verses 15 through 18 that he read. So when we face opposition, it can be a terribly draining experience, as you well know. One thing I want to establish here in the beginning, as we think about this teaching that Paul is giving us, everything he says regarding joy, he's not speaking of joy on a local, personal level where I just want to have a comfortability in my life and I want to be joyful as a person. It's not a personal joy that he's talking about. He's talking about a joy that he experiences because of the ministry that he's in. Everything in the book of Philippians is about God's plan being unfolded in Paul's life. Joy is coming to Paul through the ministry. 
And in the ministry, there are trials. And in the ministry, there is opposition. And in the ministry, there is the facing the possibility of death. And in the ministry, all these things are coming up. Yet Paul has this joy in the ministry. This is really hard, I think, for, for Christians to understand, especially in North America. Because we're so used to, in the Christian walk, the Christian faith, is everything's about me. That's what's popular today. If you look at these supersized churches and you listen to the sermon that's being preached in those churches, oftentimes the sermon is about making you everything you want to be, giving you more, giving you the heads up at work, making sure you have an extra car. It's all about you. And that is, that is antithetical to the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. It is a prosperity message that is false. What we see Paul teaching us is it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and his glory. It's about God's plans being fulfilled on the earth through us. That I'm not here for my personal gain. It's not about me living my best life now. And if you think through that, if I can live my best life now, that means I'm going to hell when I die. Basically, because I always thought heaven was the best life that I could live. Amen? And if I get my best life now, then I guess I look forward to hell at the end. I don't want that. I want to live for the Lord. I want to bring glory to his name. And so, so here we are focused on, on God's plan. And God's plan always considers others. God's plan is never just about me. The gospel of Jesus Christ that saved me. It's not just for me. He saved me so that I could, what, do his will. What's his will? That I would share the gospel with others. I'm not saved to sit and soak. I'm saved to serve, to serve the Lord. And, and I think this is a missing ingredient. I, and, and one of the most frustrating things as a pastor, when you shepherd a flock, is seeing people who get saved, and then they just kind of go through the motions the rest of their life. They're not growing in the Word. They're not taking the Word of God and letting it go from here to here where it changes how they live, where it turns them from being a self-focused person to an outward-focused person. They're not joining God in His good work. Remember Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. They're not doing that. They're, they just got saved. Now I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I just kick back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that is not the Christian life. That's not what God's called us to. But that is primarily what we see in North America, in churches. A lot of people who just attend on Sunday. And then for the rest of the week, it's about me. It's about my business. It's about me 
you know, bringing in the funds that I need for my family. It's about me pursuing my own personal goals. No room for God. And so I want to show you a diagram. If we can bring that up on the screen, this diagram. Let me step to the side. Okay, so, so this little line right here, that is, that is the baseline of every human being when they're born and every human being until they are saved. You're dead. You're dead in sin. Dead in your sins. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can never lift yourself off of this baseline of being dead in sin. Only God can lift you. Only God can call you and save you. And this is everybody. Everybody in this room. If you're saved, you're no longer on the baseline of being dead in in sin. If you're not saved, you're still on it. This is where you are. I don't mean to be a, a downcaster today, but I want to speak the truth to you. This is the truth. Okay, now let's go to the next diagram. So all of a sudden, I go from being dead in sin. God resurrects me. I didn't do it, but God, he raises me from the dead, spiritually speaking. My my unregenerate spirit in that state of deadness is made alive by the Holy Spirit through regeneration. I suddenly go from being dead to salvation. Praise God for that. Amen? How many of you are glad you're saved? Isn't that wonderful that God so loved you that he saved you from your sin? And all you can have in response is thanksgiving in your heart. You didn't do it. You didn't contribute to it. You didn't make it happen. God did that work in you. So all there is in our heart is this thanksgiving to God, which wells up into worship. That's why we worship God. It's not a duty. It's a response for what he's done. But here's the downside. So you're saved. You're no longer on the baseline of being dead, in, dead to your sin or dead in sin. Now you're saved. You're alive in Christ. But here's the problem. For many Christians, it's basically a straight line until God calls you to heaven. Most Christians in North America, this is their life. They get saved, which is a, not a process. It's an event. You're saved. They get saved and they stay just at the level of salvation. Now, I got to tell you this. Scripturally, this is, this is one that you've got to, it's going to be hard for some of you to swallow this. This is what the word says. The Bible, Jesus taught that if this is you and you just stay at the level of salvation and you never mature, you never grow in your faith, you never produce results, the, the, the fruit of salvation, which is doing good works for God, not works that you're doing to save you, you're saved, but works that he has planned beforehand that you would walk in them. If you're not producing fruit in your life, no fruit, the Bible questions whether you're saved. You might say you're saved, you can even call out the date that you were saved, but if all your life, no fruit, Jesus gave us the parable of the prodigal son, of the uh, prodigal son. The, uh, 
He gave us, he did give us that parable, by the way. But the parable of the four types of soil is the parable of the sower. And he said that the first type of soil, the seed is thrown by the sower and it hits the path and the birds just come and take it. So the seed meant nothing. The, the, the truth of God's word, the gospel, did not take effect on that type of heart. But the second and the third type of heart is the weeds and the rocks. The seed falls into the weeds, it falls into the rocks. And it says in both cases, the people, they see it, they ex get excited about it. They, it's almost like a salvation experience. It's changed them. But Jesus said, but because it's in the weeds, the weeds, they, it pressures the seed, and the seed dies out. The seed can't live. And the pressures of this world do that. We, we, we start living in the world, and all of a sudden, that seed falls apart. Jesus said in the second and the third soil, the person's not saved. Look, now listen, they had that experience. But they had this. They never got saved. The only one out of four is the last one. And that is the person who the seed falls on fertile soil and immediately they're saved. Let's go to the third video if we can. And through the process of sanctification, they, they grow until they go to heaven. They produce fruit. See, fruit's produced in this life. Maturity. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, it's all happening in that life. That's, this is what it is supposed to look like biblically for a Christian in their walk on this earth. It starts with being dead in Christ. God raises you from the dead. Spiritually speaking, you're saved. And then you have the ups and downs all the way through your Christian life. It's not a, you know, it's not a downhill slalom. There's battles all the way through the Christian life, but look at this, you're growing. Okay, it's like this, if I could put it to you this way. So you get, you get saved, bam, here you are, you're saved. And, and you start reading the word and you grow a little bit and then a setback. And, and, and you continue to study, you come under mentorship, you, you, you get discipled by someone and you grow and then more setback. And you continue to be discipled and more setback. Life is tough, right? We can get knocked off course a little bit. We, temptations can come. We can surrender to a temptation. But we never stop doing this. And so here's the picture. Look at this. You started here with salvation. Here's what the enemy wants you to see. You were here. And because of the setbacks, you stay here. This is where you are. I've never grown. I guess it's not really for me to be saved. But the reality is, even through the setbacks, but now I'm here. In, in another year, I'll be here. In another year, I'll be here. And I have all this going on too. That's the Christian life. There's maturing. There's growing. Do you have that? Or are you saved and now just riding the baseline of Christian living until God calls you home? See, the difference is between a person who is 
focused on God's will for his or her life and a person who's focused on self-will. If your life is just about what you want, when you want it, how you're going to get it, then you're going to be the person who will never experience this growth step in your life. But if you are saved and now your life is Christ's life, I am, I am hidden in Christ. No longer do I live. Christ lives in me. He is now my focus. He is now my life. Then you're going to experience all of that until you go to heaven. I hope that makes sense to you. When people fail to mature in, in faith and in growth, it makes them candidates down the road to become an opposer to become a detractor. If you only stay at the salvation level, you can only stay there for so long. And then you get down on the things you're not up on. And now all of a sudden I'm down on the gospel. I'm down on the person who led me to Christ. I start looking at their, I I become critical. I look at their faults. I only see the things I want to see. And before you know it, now all of a sudden you're an opposer of the things of the ministry of the gospel. You're an opposer of the people who are, who are engaged in the ministry of the gospel. That's why people fall away from the church. They're called the dunners today. That's what they call them. There are, there are Christians who are proud to call themselves dunners. I'm done with organized church, going to church. I'm done with that. You know how ridiculous that is? You, you, you would have to be an ignoramus to want to be part of that. To think that somehow it's okay to sever the head of Jesus from his body. And that's what they're doing. Well, oh, Jesus, I, I had no problem with Jesus. We get along every, you know, every, every week, man. I, go, I don't go to a church building. I just go out in the woods. That's my, that's my sanctuary you're separating Jesus, the head, from his body, the church. There's no health in that. That's unhealthy. That's dysfunctional. And that's what happens to a person who never grows. You eventually fall away from the very thing that you were so excited about in the beginning. I know I'm going overboard in sharing this, but I, I want you as a member of this local flock to grow beyond what the rest of the standard is for American Christians. It's a lousy standard. It's nothing to be proud of, to say that you're saved and never serve the Lord and never give of yourself and produce fruit by sharing the ministry of the gospel with other people, by, by discipling others, by mentoring others. There's nothing to be proud of in that. And, and many Christians, listen, you're doing it because your parents did it that way. You're doing it because the church taught you to do it this way. But you're not producing. There's no fruit coming out of your life. And one of the hardest things as a, as a person who is trying to grow, one of the hardest things is to have people in the same church, in the same body, who belittle you in what you're doing. Who, who try to detract you from what you're doing 
or who become personally involved in trying to take you down. There's nothing more painful than that. And I understand that on a personal level, and you probably do too. It's hard to understand why people who you pour yourself into to grow and develop, who you love, you truly love them, for them to not grow, for them to not let the word become their life, and and then they turn on you, and they betray you. That's hard. But it happens all the time. And by the way, don't think that there's something wrong with us today in North America. It happened in Paul's day in the church. On more than one occasion, Paul had to address this matter. A Christian who isn't growing and maturing in their life will acquiesce to their own self-interest, their own self-focus, and they will eventually turn away and, 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 and possibly even betray the people that love them the most and who tried to help them. So in this passage, in this passage rather, the Apostle Paul faces detractors, those who oppose him personally. Uh, you wouldn't think, who would oppose Paul? I mean, this guy loves God. He's a godly man. He just has this incredible love for people, and he shares the gospel everywhere he goes, and God's blessing his ministry. What is there to criticize about Paul? Oh, believe me, to somebody who has a big ego and has wrong motives, there's a lot to criticize in Paul. And we're going to see it. And this parallels our lives as well. Nothing's changed. There are people who will oppose you. If you're doing the will of God, the work of God, and you're faithful to it, there's people who don't like it. And by the way, they're sitting in church. It's not like you got to go out to the world, you got to go to CNN to have them blast you. They're sitting right there next to you sometimes. So the question's worth asking, what do you do when someone who, who you love in the ministry turns on you and works against you? What do you do? His name is Thomas Manton, M-A-N-T-O-N, Thomas Manton. He was a Puritan writer. Listen to what he said. He said, God is the most powerful asserter of your innocence. God is the most powerful asserter of your innocence. He went further. He said, therefore, it is best to deal with God about it, and prayer proves a better vindication than self-defense. When people criticize, when they detract, when they try to take you down, when you've done nothing but try to be faithful to God, don't turn and offer, you know, fire for fire. Give it to the Lord. Let God be your defender. Why? Because the reality is God's the most powerful asserter of your innocence. God knows you're innocent. You don't need to fight them. Don't go to their level. By the way, it takes no size to criticize. When you criticize, you're actually telling us more about you than the person you're criticizing. Think about that. If you're taking time to knock somebody else down, if somebody's coming to you and they're going to they're going to lay a, a, a garbage truck load of crap 
in your ear. You're, I'm more concerned with them than I, are, than I am the person they're talking about. Don't let somebody do that to you. Somebody calls you up on the phone and acts so innocent and so spiritual. Sister such and such, did you, did you hear about such and such? No. What, what, what's going on? Well, the only reason I'm calling you is because I think we ought to pray for them. Well, what, what, what's going on? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what that, what that is. That's a big old, big old dump truck, garbage truck. Beep, 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 right to your ear. And you're letting them dump that load on you. Don't be part of that criticism. So you want to say to them, hold, hold on a second. Let me ask you one question. You're concerned about this person, right? Oh, yes, I am. That's why I called you. Okay, well, don't call me. Have you spoken to that person about the concern yet? Have you gone to them? Have you sat with them because you love them to try to help them to see the problem? Until you do that, please do not come to me. You just stop somebody from being that critical spirit, that person who's a detractor, who's in opposition. And generally speaking, the reason they didn't go to the person is because they have an ulterior motive. They're wanting to take somebody down a notch. And so they're creating a straw man. They're creating this devil that doesn't exist. And you're hearing it. Don't listen to it. Don't do it. This is exactly what Paul did when he faced opposition. He took it to the Lord. He didn't let it become a personal issue for him. Look at verse 18. Look at the result of Paul taking it to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, whether in deception, or in the truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul wouldn't allow his opposition to have the satisfaction of stealing his joy in the Lord. And again, it's not talking about just Paul being joyful because he's a person who wants to go through the day and have happy thoughts. No, we're talking about a man who's committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to share, he wants to minister, and I don't want anybody to rob my joy in my sharing and my ministry. Do you have a ministry? Are you sharing Jesus? That's where your joy wants to come out of. That's what biblical joy is all about. And so that's the goal. That's the presupposition to the whole letter, that God by his gospel would win, not you. I want God to win. And Paul's like, hey, I don't care if they share out a deception or they share out a truth. If Jesus is being preached, woo, God wins. That guy's joyful. You know, you, you go to, somebody comes to you with bad news, oh, I, I hate to share it. They can't wait to share it with you. I hate to share this with you. I, it, it's probably going to upset you a little bit. And, and they say how somebody was speaking against you, you know, and whatever. And your response is, well, uh, that's, that's between them and the Lord. But I, I'm, I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life. Woo! You're blowing them away. They can't stand that. So you're not letting an oppressor steal your joy. 
This is based upon what Paul said in verse 12. I want you to see this. This is very important. Verse 12, Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what is he talking about? What's happened to him? His present incarceration and being chained to a Roman soldier. He's lost his privacy. He's lost his freedom. But look what he says, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Where do you think Paul's focus is? Is it on his personal life or is it on making sure that my life is all about God's plan? You see that? The reason they couldn't steal his joy is because he had his joy coming from God, not from his personal comfort level. We get knocked off real easy, picked off real easy by the enemy or by flesh because our focus is on ourselves. Then Paul explains how it's advancing. Look at the next verse, verse 13. The first thing that's happening in the, in the gospel being advanced is this, that throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Everybody who comes into this cell next to me, they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what happens. They know that about me. They're not going to get me downcast and focused on, oh, how tough life is for me. There's no theme song here of woe is me. It's all about what's best for God. Oh, church, if we could just grasp this, what our week would be like, the opportunities that would come, the, the fruit that would be just, just falling off of us into the pathway where, wherever we go, people who are being saved, if we could just live at that level of recognizing my life is not about me. My life is about the will of God being carried out in my life. I want to I do the work of God while I have opportunity. Amen. Amen? Again, it's not your work, and it's not for personal reasons that you do the work. It's for God's glory that you work in his field. Amen? So in other words, while I'm personally incarcerated, Paul's saying God is saving people. People are getting saved. If, if you don't turn, but I'll just share with you. Over in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 22, in the closing of the letter, listen to what Paul said. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He's writing to this little church in Philippi. Hey, by the way, as I close the letter, I just want you to know that all the saints that are in this area, they're all, they're all so excited. Why? Because they're getting saved. They're, they, they're, these are people who are saved. Caesar's household is saved. You talk about having fruit? Who would think that you could possibly have fruit in prison? There's fruit. Amen. I, I, I don't want to go to prison, okay? But if for some odd reason I land in prison, whoa! All these people that I get to share Jesus with. That's what Paul's saying. I, I've told you my experience on an airplane. Literally, I thought we were going down. It was that bad. I mean, that plane was doing this. People were coming close to hitting their head on the ceiling. It was just crazy. And I thought that plane's going to go down. But you know what I was doing the whole time? I just, I, I, if you'd asked me beforehand if this was how I would have reacted, I wouldn't have said yes. I, I don't know. I don't know how I react. But when I saw that happening and I literally thought that plane was going down, I began to rehearse in my mind what I'm going to say as soon as we know we're going down. I'm going, to, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That just came over me. I got so excited about it. This plane's going crazy, man. People are screaming and yelling and vomiting and everything else going on. And I'm just gearing up for the opportunity here. That's the Christian life. That's what you ought to be living every day. Amen? Paul's going to make the most of his opportunities, even in the worst of situations. His witness is making the church more bold. I love this. So the first thing that happens, people outside the church are being changed. Caesar's household, the praetorian guards that are chained to him, they're getting saved. But it's also changing people inside the church. Look, at, look if you will, at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see what God's doing as I'm allowing the Spirit to use me in prison, and they see the result, people getting saved. It's made other believers more bold to share the faith. It's like it's just a, it's a spinoff, man. It's a domino effect. The more you share and God moves in what you're sharing, other people see it. They want to now, they want to now share. All of a sudden, the church has what we call revival, true revival. Revival is not what happens on the stage. It's what happens in the hearts of people. This is exciting. Now, as we approach this second of the four, I haven't even gotten to the second one, which is oppression. As we approach this second one, opposition, Paul obviously doesn't care about his personal, what people think of him personally. He only cares that the gospel goes forth. Now, what is a person who's an oppressor? What is a person who's in opposition? What is a detractor? Well, a detractor describes a, someone who belittles. They belittle the reputation of someone else. A detractor is someone who wants to tear someone else down. Paul was very familiar with detractors. It's hard to imagine why someone would go after such a godly, selfish, unselfish man, but people do, and they do today. In verse 15, Paul identifies the two kinds of people that are in ministry today. These are the two types of ministers that are in the church. And when I say minister, don't think of a pastor. Don't think of a shepherd. Think of you, because we're all called to the ministry, Ephesians 4.11 says. Okay, so get this, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's the first type of person. They, they preach Jesus from envy and rivalry. The second type of person preaches from goodwill. Their heart's right. The first type of minister is the opposer. They preach Christ from envy and rivalry. While they were preaching the gospel, their real agenda was to discredit to defame, to accuse, to criticize, to belittle, to devalue. They, they, their goal was to dishonor Paul. It's hard to believe that somebody who's preaching the gospel would also be so caught up in that sideways junk, but they do. This, this person is out to do whatever they can to attack Paul. Now, let's keep perspective on this. These are Christians. Paul said they're preaching the gospel. They're, these are not heretics. These are not people who are preaching a wrong message. They're preaching the right message. They know the truth. The, these are not Judaizers. These are not people 
who are religious zealots pushing some side, you know, serving of whatever it is that they believe. They are being pure in their, in their truth coming out of their mouth about the gospel. But they have another agenda, and that is to take you down while they share the gospel. Look what it says in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. By the way, in verse 15 it says that these people, that they preach Christ. In verse 17, they proclaim Christ. In verse 18, Christ is proclaimed. In all three, he's talking about the people who are the detractors. So don't get this idea that these are just whacked out people with some kind of a cult message. These are Christians who know the gospel and are clearly communicating the gospel. It's just that they have a side issue, a wrong motivation. They're doing what they're doing in order to get at you. Okay? Now, what is envy? Envy is basically jealousy. Jealous of what? Jealous of how God has used Paul. They were jealous of Paul and how God used him. They were jealous of the fact that Paul probably had more converts. He had more followers. They were jealous of the fact that Paul is writing these letters to the churches, and the churches are responding to Paul. They love Paul. They are caring for Paul. They're sending gifts to Paul. They're seeing all these things, and they're saying, well, that's not happening for me. Nobody's noticing all the preaching I'm doing. I'm not getting the results that Paul's getting. It's not fair. So what do you do? You got to, here you are, here in your mind, this person's here. I got to bring him down so I can be higher. It's comparing. Let me tell you two problems with comparing yourself to other people. Number one, if you think you're better than somebody, you're prideful. Number two, if you think you're less than somebody else, now you're not being the person God created you to be. Either way, you lose. Stop comparing. If you compare enough, it'll lead you to become a detractor of somebody. You'll want to bring them down. And there are people who that's what they live for. They live to bring somebody else down. They're jealous, and so jealousy leads to contention. It leads to conflict. I hate to admit it, but contention and conflict are alive and well inside the church of Jesus Christ. And it's always been that way. So if you're in the church and you've had an experience that's very unhealthy and very negative and just turns you off, don't leave the church because of it. Because wherever you go or whatever church you go to, it's going to be there too. Why? Because we're imperfect people. We're all, remember the, the graph going up, but it's like this. We're, we're all going to fail, and we fail one another at times. You don't leave God's church because men go through the down things. You, you stay with God because you do the same thing, and they're not quitting on you. So don't quit on them. We're just a bunch of, honestly, just a bunch of a motley crew is what we are. And somehow God miraculously saved us, and now he's working in us. And I believe in you, and you believe in me, and at times you don't believe in me, and guess what? 
I'll never be as good as people say that I am, and I'll never be as bad as people say that I am. My focus isn't on what people say. My focus is on what I know God says about me and what God's called me to. And that's how you should approach it too. And the very people who one minute criticize you and are trying to take you down, God could do a work in them in three months, and now all of a sudden they're your biggest supporter. And if you leave because they were down on you, you miss the opportunity to spiritually mature and grow. You didn't have patience to wait and let the Lord do his work. You took your eyes off of Jesus and focused on the person and lost your joy as opposed to continuing to be faithful to God, allowing the Spirit of God lead and, and change you. This is what we have to do. This is, this is the life of a Christian. Uh, let me share this with you. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not the first time Paul is addressing opposition. Paul is very familiar with detractors, and he had them. These are the people that were actually coming against Paul, and he's writing about that in the, in the letter to Philippians. But in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, I want to read for you verse 1 and a few verses after. I want you to see this. But I, brothers, what did he call them? Brothers. What does that insinuate? They're saved. Paul would never call somebody who's unsaved a brother because they're not a brother. They're not saved yet. They're not in the family of God yet. But he says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Here you are, you got saved, but I still can't refer to you as people that are saved because you act like you're not saved. You're like a little baby. Remember we talked about this, two types of, uh, of uh, 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 fleshly people? The first is the carnal. It's the brat. You just, it's all about you. That's what he's talking about here. The second is the babe, a babe in Christ. Everybody has a beginning point with Jesus. And you're going to poop in your diapers if you're a baby. That's just the way it is, okay? And that's okay. We'll change your diaper for you because you're a babe. But if you're a 40-year-old babe in Christ, it's no fun changing your diaper. That's a nasty diaper. You shouldn't have diapers. But you're a brat. And that's what Paul's addressing here. I fed you milk with uh, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're still not ready for, you're not ready for the meat of the word, for the milk of the word. For you are still of the flesh, you're carnal. You're saved, but you're carnal. Look what he says next. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, there it is. Paul is saying the problem here is that some of you in the church are filled with jealousy and envy and strife. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And then he goes on and he describes what exactly they were saying. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not showing just how human you are, your, your flesh side? Who cares? It's not about following Apollos or following Paul. It's about the gospel being proclaimed. You know, I got to tell you, there's, a, there's Christians today. All they do is brag on some preacher that they love so much. Oh, he's just wonderful. He, oh, yeah. It's not about him. 
It's about Jesus. It's about the word going forth. The best thing you can say about a preacher is not how wonderful he is. And man, he's just a silver-tongued orator. That guy, when he opens his mouth, the, the words just flow out of him. And I can just listen to him all day long. That's the, that is not a compliment to a minister of the gospel. The best compliment you can give to a minister of the gospel is, that guy stepped all over my toes today. I mean, he taught the Word of God, and the Word did a work in me. I, he, that, the Word of God opened me up like a Thanksgiving turkey today. Now you know you're under good preaching. It's not about him. It's about the message, always, always. And then he talks about this second type of minister that Paul addresses. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of Love. So you got some people who are preaching Jesus with rivalry, envy, jealousy. Others are preaching simply because of the love of God that has compelled them to share. And by the way, I think every one of us slip into the jealousy and envy and out of it into the love. And then back into it. And I mean, this is that sanctification. But you're not here anymore. Now you're here. Now you're here. And you slip out less and less as time goes with the Lord. Amen? We're all going to fall short. You do it every day. If you say, well, preacher, I'm just telling you right now, I'm, I, I've just, my life is completely changed. I'm not the same person. And I mean, I have really put it together. God is really using me, blah, blah, blah. The next thing I want to say is, can I talk to your wife? Can I talk to your husband? That's really where we find the truth, amen? Is there's, there's his truth, there's her truth, and there's real truth somewhere in the middle. That's you. That's me. But the point is, we should minister out of love. Turn in your Bible just quickly. We're closing down. We're, we're done. But I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. What does it look like when Vero Bible Fellowship saints minister Jesus, share Jesus, disciple people, share the gospel with people out of love? What does it look like when we don't? When we share with ulterior motives? So 1 Corinthians, if you will, Look at, look at chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I'm doing what others look at as so spiritual, but yet I don't do it out of a true love in my heart, there's nothing pretty about it, not from God's view. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, that's some pretty significant faith, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. You can't share the ministry of the gospel out of love and at the same time have strife and envy in your heart. If there's strife and envy that you've not dealt with, that you've not settled in your heart, it will cripple and take away the love that you want people to receive in your message. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. See, Paul said some people, when they share, they share out of these things. He said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, people who walk in love, they're never going to quit on you. Even when you're messing up bad, they're still going to believe that you're in process and God's working in you. And I'm going to be patient while God does his work in you. I'm not going to quit on you. Love bears all things. And then he says in verse 8, love never ends. Now, you and I, there's an end to our love, but there's no end to God's love. And to the degree that we tap into God's love and remind ourselves of walking in the love of God and ministering out of the love of God, we won't carry resentment towards others. We won't carry bitterness. Now, it'll show up. The enemy will tempt you with it, but you don't give it any groot. I'm not going to entertain that when I hear that somebody says something about me. Let it go. Hey, God is the most powerful asserter of your innocence. You go before the Lord. Don't worry about that. Let the Lord handle that. Amen? You just keep believing in that person. You keep praying for that person, that God would help them to be everything he's created them to be. That's a loving heart. Amen? All right. Father, I want to thank you for your word, and I want to thank you that Paul was able to say that in any pretense or in any truth, if Christ is being proclaimed, then I rejoice. And then he said, I will rejoice. It's an act of his imputed will. It's not about his feelings. Did he feel like rejoicing? That's not what it's saying. It didn't say he feels like it. It says he willed himself to rejoice. Oh, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray for our body. We're no different than the church in Corinth or the people that Paul is speaking of who are detracting from him while he's in prison. Lord, we can get there too. We can be just as messed up. But God, I pray that you would do a work in us as a body and that those who are struggling, Lord, that they would see the air of their way and they would seek your forgiveness and they would be restored to the love of Jesus. And those of us who are walking in love, that we would be patient with people who are struggling because the reality is we too need patience from others as we struggle. We're all in this together, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is the second of the four uh, joy robbers. Next week, we'll look at death as a joy robber, and uh, Paul deals with it in the next few verses. God bless each of you. Thank you for being here. If you would like to come and receive prayer for any matter, last week so many of you came forward. We loved it. Elders and, and prayer partners are up front. So come right on up and they'll pray with you, okay, about any matter at all. God bless you.